Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where do you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice and Rosen is your new best friend. I'm very excited to introduce my guest in a moment. But first, I must catch up with producer Tony Thaxton. Now I'm going to, Tony, hello. Hello. I'm going to break the fourth wall for a second. And I'm going to say that our guest just danced to the theme song in such an infectious and wonderful way (laughs) that I feel like we're going to need to include that in the video. We've been streamlining the video, so now it's just all slick, and it's just like, oh, here I am. This is YouTube.com slash Allison Rosen. It's just like, here I am talking to you, and then like, boop, Allison's new best friend goes across the screen and stuff. But no, we need like the full, they need the full dance. So we're going to, Pete is going to have his hands full this week figuring that out, because that brought me a lot of joy. Anyway, Tony, (laughs) how? so we will bring our guest in in a moment. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing all right. I uh, I played a show last night I in a know. real venue, and uh, yeah, it, I felt it was a very fun and normal feeling night. Uh, although today I kind of feel like I was hit by a truck, and uh, yeah, my body's very sore because I haven't played a show in a very long time. Yeah, and the part I was not expecting, and I I just hadn't thought about this, like by the end of the night, my throat hurt. Yeah, just, just from like, talking. I hadn't. Well, yeah, well, just and having to talk louder, mm-hmm. I feel like I've barely raised my voice in a year and a half. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, I was getting all uh, sore and raspy by the end of the night. But, uh, yeah, we're all right now. But, yeah, just feeling a little, a little sore today. I know you've been ramping up to physical act, the physical activity of playing a full. Sh- you played drums for two bands, right? No, the last night was just with oh. uh, Jonah Ray. Well, I know uh, you've been I'm ramping. Playing- Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, just, in, yeah, in a couple of weeks, there's, I have a night where I'm doing two bands, yeah. Yes, so I know you've been ramping up by hiking and trying to, like, <clears throat> get back into uh, into shape for exerting yourself physically, but I feel like maybe when you go on your hikes, you should also be screaming to build up your vocal cords. <laughs> you, you might be right, yeah, because <laughs> it, it really is, because uh, I, I do, and I sing a little bit, too, so, uh, yeah, it's going to have to get th- get that going again, too. So, you played a show at the Sardine in San Pedro. And this, the Sardina venue, which I have not heard of, except my band way back in the day had played in San Pedro. And I'm wondering, did you know, did the Sardine used to be called something else, maybe? Probably, because I do think I heard someone saying that it's kind of Mm. newish. 
But uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it was before that, though. Well, this... it, def- it definitely is not. It's not a new building, mm-hmm. but it, I think it's the like actual a new place is newish. Yeah. So on the most recent Thursday show with Helen Hong and Jackie Johnson, the location of San Pedro came up. And I feel like everyone was wrong about where San Pedro was. Except for me. I didn't hmm. say anything. I do not have a good sense of direction. I'm not. Show me a map. I can't point out anything on it. But however, someone was like, San Pedro. Oh, I think that's where you live. That's near you, Helen. And I was sitting there thinking, I don't think it is. When you went to San Pedro, were you like, oh, this is not where I thought it was? Uh, no, it's kind of where I thought it was. I don't know in reality how close to LAX it is. But in my head, it was like that vicinity. Because you basically, you just get on the 110 and take it all the way to the end, basically. I think of it as near, closer to Long Beach. But I guess Long Beach Um, and LAX are, again, this is where my lack of sense of direction comes in. I'm not great with some of that myself. So, Um, again, this is that hyper local content that the people tune in for. So, I want to introduce our guest in a moment. I just want to share one, some big personal news in my personal evolution. Tony, I don't know how aware you are of me having become just like a bitter troll of a person. When I hear other people's good news, especially if I see it on Instagram, I just think, why not me? Why not me? As I scroll, why not me? Oh, I guess that didn't happen to me. When's it my turn? I guess it's never going to be my turn. Why not me? No, I have not noticed this (laughs) at all, Allison. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have a song dedicated to it do you have it do you have hooray for you oh uh i'm sure i do i see that you've done something that i really want to do hooray for you and now you're getting kudos while i sit here getting screwed hooray for you i am so very happy that this fortune came your way i didn't mean to say you don't deserve to have your day however you'll forgive me if i feel compelled to say hooray Yes, that (laughs) comes up enough that we needed a song. But today, twice now, I have heard of good news, entertainment-based good news happening to two separate people, and I have felt nothing but just pure happiness for them. Do you know how rare that is for me, Tony? It is like... (laughs) And it just, it's not like it's, I, it's not like I've been working on it or anything. It just happened. Mm-hmm. Sort of like how I imagine people and so many people we know lately losing their sense of smell. And then one day, and because of COVID, and then one day it just comes back. That's what it is. Like, oh my God, my ability to be a good person who's happy for someone else. It just came back. Congrats. Thank you very much. Proud of you. I mean, you've in really, the- you've really grown a lot. <laughs> Well, it's more like maybe I'm I'm no longer suffering from this regression, this poison yeah, in my soul. I don't know what it is. But speaking of like being a self-evolved person and all of this, my guest today is someone who I think of as very wise and self-actualized. We will find out how much she sees herself that way. She is a writer, a podcast host, a mom wife of someone who's been on the show many times and is a fan favorite. It is Leanne Kreischer. Please put your hands together for Leanne. Yay! Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super happy to be here. 
Very excited to talk with you. Um, so Greg and I interviewed you on my other podcast, Childish. And in, uh, at the beginning of one of your answers, you're, you said just in a very offhand way, you're like, I don't know how much you know about my backstory, but blah, blah, blah. And at that moment, I was like, I don't know that much about your backstory and I want to find out and I need to have you on Allison Rosen as your new best friend. And here we are. And here we are. And congratulations on your evolution. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, the irony is in the course of talking about how I was happy for other people, I was like bragging about myself. <laughs> well, here I know. am able to feel happiness for other people. What about you? Do you generally feel happiness for other people? Almost always. I actually am not a very competitive person mm-hmm. with other people. I feel like what happens for someone else has very little to do with me. So we're all kind of running our own race. Um, so I compete with myself, but I don't really compete with other people now. Man, you are as pure and good <laughs> as, I, as I think of you as. <laughs> I don't know um, about that. I really do think of you as like very wise, mature, self-actualized. How much uh, – here's uh, like three questions at once. How much is that true and have you always been that way if it is true? I think it is kind of true. I'm definitely not perfect. There are many times, and especially in my relationship with my husband, where I am not super Mm self-actualized because I'm a regular married person. And sometimes I'm a little like, what about me? Like everybody else. But but I think I might be, and that's kind of hard to say, Mm -hmm. but I think I might be kind of wise. My mom used to say I was born 40 years old. So... (laughs) Uh, I think I've always been kind of an old soul, mm-hmm. but there was a time in my life where I was really screwed up. So I, I definitely have worked very hard to become who I am today. It was not just a sweet, easy path. Right. Sure. What kind of work did you did you do to to, uh, to get past that? I did a lot of therapy. I'm still in therapy, but you know, um, I believe that my mom has a borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And when you grow up with someone who has that type of challenge, it, it, um, you're not growing up in like a real world. You're growing up in a world that they believe is real. And then once you step out into the real world, it's so, um, it's so like discombobulating. You just don't, I mean, I used, I remember standing in the grocery store when I was 23 crying because I didn't know which butter to buy because I didn't want to buy the butter my mother made me buy. And it's like as stupid as that sounds, it's kind of a window into how much being raised by someone who's really off affects your own internal compass. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, I, I, when I was in my twenties, I was very, I don't know how much you want me to talk about this stuff. I would but. love to hear as deep as you want to go. I am all ears and, and my, my listeners love when people are honest, um, you know, about their background and about their emotional truth and stuff. So please go, go into all of it. Okay. Well, uh, my parents divorced when I was seven. My mom was the highest paid model in Atlanta for about nine years. She was a runway model in Italy, but she grew up in a really, really small town in Alabama. And I believe she has a borderline personality disorder. And I believe she has a lot of sociopathic pieces to her. Mm -hmm. And I believe that for reasons like she used to make me steal things when I was a child because she'd tell me if I got caught, I wouldn't get in trouble. But if she got caught, she would get in trouble. Um, That's one example. She's 
divorced her sixth husband now. I don't have wow. a relationship with her now um, because she has every 10 years of my life, starting at age 13, completely disowned me and not talked to me for years because Jeez. I've done something that she has not approved of. So the disorder I believe she has is narcissism as a personality disorder. And anything that disagrees with a narcissistic person is actually they feel is life-threatening. It's like you're actually trying to kill me because you're not buying the butter I told you to buy. Mm -hmm. So anytime I would go against her, I would be dead for mm -hmm. years, for like two years, four years. And then I would always go, I, surely I can make this work. I mean, I must have done something wrong. I mean, I, I've got to be able to fix this. And so I would always reach out and reconnect and the cycle would continue. We'd be okay for a while. And then all of a sudden I'm dead and I'm dead for years. And, you know, she, she would ask me to lie about really serious things. Um, I got subpoenaed to court for her fourth divorce because <laughs> for my stepfather, because she had made all these outrageous claims about his behavior that were un untrue. Um, and I had to go and, and be a witness for him is just, you know, just in, just insanity. So by the time oh, I got, called you. Oh yeah. I got subpoenaed on his behalf. That must have it, been very hard for you to be caught terrible. in the middle like that. It was terrible. And I remember her saying to me, how dare you show up? And I was like, <laughs> I, I was subpoenaed. Like yeah. someone served me in the Atlanta airport. I, what was I supposed to do? I would have not have been able to come back to the state of Georgia if I hadn't shown up. But right. I think to this day, she blames me for it, that was such a betrayal. And I was mm -hmm. like, so there's so much that just doesn't really fall under the usual rules of society about the way she functioned my entire life. So this led me by the time I was a teenager to be really, really uh, lost. So mm -hmm. I started drinking very young, started drinking at 13 and drank very heavily. I started getting into really dangerous behavior like drag racing and, uh, you know, jumping off bridges into rivers and stuff that wow. is really scary. And I really think that I was hoping it would turn out badly mm -hmm. without really being suicidal, but really hoping this would just kind of end yeah. um and then when i got in college i like <laughs> was drinking so much that i started losing my hair and my liver had become enlarged and i was in really bad shape mm -hmm. and um i just thought to myself why am i doing this like this is there's a problem here that's causing me to have all this terrible punitive behavior toward myself is that what i want my entire life to be i don't think so i really think that I am really unhappy in a core level that I don't really understand. Mm -hmm. So that kind of realization started happening. And then I had terrible headaches my entire childhood, all through teenage years. And I went to a Halloween party and there were psychic tents at this Halloween party. And I went in and the psychic said, oh, you have really bad headaches. I said, yeah. She said, I, I think I know this guy who can help you. Gave me this guy's card. I went to see that guy the next week. I walked in the door and he goes, oh, you've got really big issues with your mom. And I went, I do. And he goes, you have really bad headaches. And I said, I do. And he was like, I think I can help you. He was actually a Reiki guy. I don't know if you're oh, familiar wow. with Reiki. Yeah. But he was like, 
Reiki is about manipulating your energy and energy gets trapped in your body, especially when you have some traumatic emotional stuff, it gets kind of trapped in your body. So I started working with him and I started reading books like voraciously and I decided I needed to move out of Georgia and get out of, away from my mom. So I moved to New York City and got into therapy. And I think the combination of me saying, okay, I've lost my hair. My mm-hmm. liver is enlarged. I'm really kind of off in a ditch here. And the psychic sending me to this guy who just saw me so clearly and my want to not be unhappy, those things kind of combined made me start seeking out who I really was and to start understanding that who I was told I was by my mom was completely inaccurate. Who did so, she tell you you were? She told me I was a really bad person. She told me that I was um, a really bad daughter, that I um, betrayed her all the time, that I misbehaved a lot. She told me I was fat. I weighed 100 pounds. Oh. She she told me that, um, you know, I was trying to be a writer. And she was like, well, you'll never be a good writer because you think too much, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, she thought I was gay. My, <laughs> she thought I was gay forever. And I'm like, I'm totally not gay. I actually have had lots of boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Why, are, why do you? Uh, right. Why does just, she insist on that? Like every single piece of my real self, mm-hmm. she would attack. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be a writer. You'll never be good at that. Well, I want to do, I don't know. I don't remember what else I wanted to do when I was young, but do you, why do you think you'd ever be good at that? I, I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, you know, she didn't hit me. She didn't throw me across the room. I was not molested, but I definitely grew up. In an environment where I could only make her choice. There was Mm -hmm. no other choice. It was so, um, let's put it this way. When I was eight, I broke my ribs jumping on the trampoline and I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her for a week because I didn't want her to see any vulnerability in me at all. It was so unsafe to have any vulnerability. Right. And I don't know if you ever broken your ribs. It's really bad. It hurts a lot. Yeah. And I just was like, I'm just going to go in my room and just close the door and just deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you did finally tell her? that She caught me crying and she got really mad at me because I never <laughs> told her. Um, and there's lots of other things she did. Like she was very controlling with my bowel movements. Like she, I had to like, she like tracked my bowel movements when I'm like 10, 11, 12 Jeez. years old. I took 21 vitamins a day. She used to make me make me drink niacin. I had to. I could only eat like completely whole natural foods. Um, no cheese. No no sugar. Um, if I had popcorn, she'd put brewer's yeast all over it because it's <laughs> super healthy. So everything was just so very controlled. Mm-hmm. There was no freedom. And when she left my dad, she moved us into a predominantly gay community because she thought the safest place for a little girl was with a lot of gay men, which is really smart, except there are no children there. Right. I was by myself. (laughs) Was it just you and your mom? Do you have siblings? No, I don't have siblings. No, I don't even have any step siblings. After Mm -hmm. all these marriages, she's married people who don't have kids. Got it. um, So she can be the focus. So, but they never work out. And she always goes, it's because he's an asshole. Well, Mm -hmm. One of the times we stopped talking was because I said, you know, there's one common denominator in all of your marriages and it's, and it's you. So maybe you should 
think, what do I bring to the equation? Like he's bringing whatever he brings, but what do I bring? And of course, then I don't talk to her again for six months because that was so disrespectful. And, um, you know, Bert for a long time. And I think a lot of people who don't grow up with parents who are really, truly unhealthy mm-hmm. don't understand when a child is done. You know, I got to, when I got pregnant with Georgia, I was done. Mm-hmm. My mom had again disowned me when I got pregnant and um, thought because it was you so, got pregnant. Yes. It was really disrespectful to her. It has nothing what? to do with her. It was so, that's what I mean. It's like yeah. so, right. it's, Distorted. it's not normal. Um, and my, Bert kept saying, there's got to be some way, which is what I spent my whole life doing. Mm-hmm. But when that happened, I went, oh, she will not do this to my kids. Like there is absolutely no way that she will do this. What she did to me, to my kids, no way. So I was like, I'm dead to you. Perfect. Then I'm really dead this time. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not trying again. But Bert kept saying, you know, over and over again, I don't understand why this won't work. And I was still in touch with her mom. One time I went to visit her mom and I think Georgia was eight and Isla was six. She'd never met my, never met my husband, didn't come to my wedding, never met my children ever and walked in her mom's house when I was there with my whole family and went, Hey guys, it's your nanny. (laughs) And I was like, what? I haven't seen you in like, Oh, I don't know. Nine years. Yeah. And your nanny, you're fucking crazy. Sorry for the F bomb. You're oh, crazy. No. We, we use, uh, we use all kinds of F bombs. Had your grandmother arranged that with her? Nope. My grandmother had told her I was coming so that she wouldn't come over and she came over anyway. Oh. And so I just totally like imploded and shut down. And Bert was like, I've never seen you like that ever. I was so, I was shaking mm-hmm. on the inside and I, I went back to being like eight years old. It was a visceral reaction. And after that, uh, she wrote me this letter that was addressed to me with my name misspelled. <laughs> Sorry. And I gave it to me. was misspelled? Uh, or she L. Kreischer. But she misspelled Kreischer. She misspelled Kreischer. And so I just gave it to Bert and I was like, I don't even want to read it. I can tell you right now because she addressed it to L. Kreischer. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be good. Right. So he took it in our backyard and he came back in and he went, that fucking bitch is not ever coming in our life again. I have no idea what the letter said, but I'm sure I've heard it before. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's it. I will never ask you to reconcile with her again. I get it. And I was like, thank you. Because I've been trying to get you to get it. Yeah. For like 10, 11 years now. And at a certain point, I feel really bad that she's so broken. I feel it really makes me sad that mm-hmm. she will never know what love is because I am a very loving person. I would love her, but I can't let myself be just beat up on all the time, every time I'm with her. Yeah, and I, mean, I can't feel that way, you know? It sounds as if she's not capable of having a relationship with you that's uh, anything other than painful, toxic, destructive. Yes. And she's done some things that are illegal that I don't want to talk about on the podcast, mm-hmm. but where you would go, okay. <laughs> like I was talking to Dr. Drew about her and he was like, okay, just so you know, she's not a sociopath. She's a psychopath. Like you've, she's just moved into this other arena oh, of not, not okay. That's really interesting. So, I thought that psychopath and sociopath are, ju- are synonyms. 
But he's saying that there's a difference. The difference is a psychopath has no regard for human life. And a sociopath does, though? Has a little more than a psychopath. Got it. So it's like a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Wow. A psychopath is like someone who would just kill. Yeah. And, and, they, and they're right in doing so. So. Jeez. You can yeah. read between those lines. <laughs> and, uh, you know. You got to tell. Off, I hope off mic you'll uh, tell me. I'll tell you off camera. It was. I feel like we've just like pivoted in, into a true crime podcast or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. So. I definitely earned my wisdom, I think. I've mm-hmm. definitely earned it. I've worked really, really hard to to not um, repeat the things I saw uh, and to not uh, – to, to only take – because she wasn't all bad. She was – I think I kind of have her personality. She was really charming. She was really funny. She never mm-hmm. meets a stranger. She's absolutely beautiful. Um, she's She's – uh, fun. She sings a lot. She's the life of the party when she's there. She's naughty. She's yeah. And then when the, <laughs> when the door closes, you're like, uh oh, mm-hmm. this is this is not great. Yeah, so, I was, was going to ask, how was she perceived by the other people around you guys when you were growing up? Interesting question. Everybody loved her. Everybody thought she was just amazing. But in seventh grade, she bought a house. Um, in a suburb of Atlanta and we moved across the street from a family that had four kids. Their oldest daughter was my age and we ended up being best, best, best friends. And, um, in the middle of eighth grade, we moved there in seventh grade, in the middle of eighth grade, they built a house somewhere else. And the dad sat me down at the dining room table and said, we have built this house and we have built a room for you. And I would like to legally adopt you because I cannot leave you here with your mother. Wow. And that was the first time someone besides my dad saw her for who she was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what she did or how he and his wife saw it and no one else did, but they did. And he was like, I just can't leave you here with her. I can't. And how did, how did you feel when he said that? It, it completely and entirely mortified. I was Mm. so embarrassed. Uh, I was so embarrassed that someone saw that. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, it was really embarrassing. Now that I look back on it, it, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize how much of a savior that whole family was for Mm -hmm. me and how much I model my current life after that year and a half. I pretty much live with them. I got off the bus from school and stayed at their house till it's time to go to sleep. And most days I just slept there. Um, and my mom didn't mind. I was out of her hair. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I, I mean, my mom's house was all, all the furniture was white. You couldn't sit on it. I had to sit on the floor and I'd go over to their house and they're like dogs are everywhere and dirt's mm-hmm. everywhere and everybody's in the pool and people are fighting and throwing things. And I just thought it was heaven. Yeah. So I thought when I grow up, I would like to have that. I don't think I would like to have what I grew up in. Right. And you kind of so, do, except I remember you having white, uh, white <laughs> covers on your couches. And I was like, how? But you, you said, I remember you saying something like, I need something that I can take off and wash. That's right. right. I was like, uh, white can be bleached. Bring yes. it on. I can bleach it. <laughs> so you're right. I do have white couches like my mom, but they are slip covered and they are bleachable. So 
I can, um, that actually makes a lot of sense to me that you felt mortified though, because especially at that age, I would imagine you probably felt a, a lot of loyalty to your mom and, uh, what am I trying to say? Not only loyalty, but at that age, you don't necessarily feel like a separate person. So it's like someone saying something negative about your mom is also negative about you. That's not true. That might be true for some people, but I don't remember ever feeling loyalty to my mom. My mom left for about a year and a half when I was four and didn't come back. And my dad kind of like fell apart. Mm -hmm. And at four, I think I had to grow up at such a young age. And I think I understood that it was her fault. Mm. And I think from that point on, I just didn't trust her. Got it. And then the behaviors that started happening... The lies, I would watch her tell a lie, and I was smart enough to go, hey, wait a minute, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I don't like that. I remember feeling those feelings when I was really young. Wow. And just not trusting her. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I never felt safe with her. I never felt like I could be myself or show her any emotion. So I spent most of my childhood with her completely deadened. Of emotion. Mm. I mean, I couldn't even take a shit without her watching me. Right. You know, and making sure I actually did it. (laughs) I don't know any kid that goes, watch this. I'm going (laughs) to pretend to take a shit and I'm not going to take a shit. Nobody does that. You don't don't think like that. No. Although my son Owen, two and a half, is holding (laughs) it right now. And it has been days of like, (laughs) I get that your mom it has a, you know, off the charts personality <laughs> disorder and, and charts your, sh- charted your poop. However, I'm sitting here being like, I am totally doing that with him right now. <laughs> and every day is a new, like, fiber gummies, Miralax, this. And I'm just holding off. I don't want to have to do a suppository, but I feel like that's where it's headed. But anyway, just but he's two and a half and I was nine. Yeah. No, I mean, I was nine. Yeah. That's too old. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really violating. Um, well, see, that's what I'm saying about you being wise from the beginning. It's you saw your mom so clearly. That's I, that's impressive. I, I think be- I don't know what that was. I don't know, but I, I did at really young. I just didn't didn't trust her. Yeah. So, um. So you have two daughters. Mm-hmm. Have have they never met her except for that one time? Just I'm Nani. <laughs> <laughs> Is Nani? And I was like, what the fuck word is Nani? I mean, I'm from Georgia. That's like an (laughs) Italian name. What are you talking about? But um, her, I continued to be still close-ish to her mom and dad. And when her dad passed away, we went to his funeral. And I saw her again there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so bizarre. She gave me, she spoke to me one time at this funeral and she gave me this very self-righteous speech about honor <laughs> and how uh, how a child should honor their parent. And it was a long speech, and it was very, very intentional on her part. And I just watched her give me this load of shit about honor and thought, you are one crazy ass bitch. I'm so glad that I don't have you around. And my kids were with me. So she did this in front of my two daughters. And they literally were like, when it was over, my oldest daughter went, uh, what was that about? 
<laughs> I think Georgia was probably 12, maybe, when that mm-hmm. happened. And I was like, that was about history. That was not about now. Yeah. So let her have her history because I'm not living in that. Right. I've moved on. Wow. Yeah. Um. So you moved to New York, got into therapy. And is that the point that things started turning around? No, I, I think... Uh, the thing about therapy, if you're really going to do it, it's really hard mm-hmm. and it hurts a lot. And the time that I was in New York was very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, like I cut all my hair off. I started like dressing like a boy. I, I got really lost in trying to find myself. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult living in New York. The semantics of living in New York was awesome. I loved the city. I loved all the, you know, the stimulation. I loved the park. I loved the buildings. I loved all that. But then I'd go home at night and still, I was just really determined to work on myself. Mm -hmm. I was determined to be happy and I just didn't know how to be happy. So that took a lot of work. It was like, kind of like gutting, a fruit so that you can (laughs) use the peel to fill it up with something else. That's Mm -hmm. kind of like what I did in New York. New York was a very difficult time for me because I was super committed to kind of pulling things up by the roots. Mm -hmm. So I cried a lot. Um, I used to lock myself in the closet and just cry because I didn't want my neighbors to hear me Mm -hmm. crying and think, what's happening in that apartment? Yeah. (laughs) But I was like, it's really kind of the only way through it because Mm -hmm. a lot of my pain was from being a child. And, you know, sometimes you don't even understand your feelings when you're a child, but they're still in your body Mm -hmm. and your psyche and the disappointment and the upset and the insecurity of having that mom was very scary for a child. It's really scary to not know who that person is when you come home from school. Is she going to be nice? Or is she going to be really mean? Uh, I don't really know. And that was very scary. And, you know, she was very mean to my dad. And I absolutely love my dad. I only saw him every other weekend. And she was just so mean to him. And I didn't like that either. Mm-hmm. And so that made me not trust her either. So it's just a lot to process. And I think somehow, I think the Reiki guy said to me, the only way out of it is through it. So you're just going to have to feel it. Uh, And he told me, too, when he started working on me, he was like, you have more sadness in your body than anyone I've ever seen as a patient, ever. So until you process all this sadness, you can't fill that cavern with happiness. You have to process the sadness. So my goal when I was in New York, I watched every sad movie. I watched Beaches (laughs) probably on a loop. And I was just like, I just need to trigger this because I Mm -hmm. spent my whole life shutting down emotions mm-hmm. i couldn't really cry in the movie theater like i go mm-hmm. see a movies and i'd be like stone and i'd know in my brain this is actually really sad but i can't access that part of myself right it just was too unsafe so i did literally did that i watched terms of endearment and <laughs> beaches and any kind of death and dying and terrible and then i just let myself cry so yeah new york was intense how long were you there Four years. And were you, had you gone there to pursue a certain thing career-wise? I did. I went there to study acting. And in the study of acting, I figured out I'm not an actor. Mm. I'm actually a writer. So I just wanted to be creative, I think, in my 
reason for going there, um, I took an acting class just kind of like because I was bored in college. Mm-hmm. And my acting teacher said, you're actually quite talented. If you want to s- pursue this, you should go to New York and really study. So I was like, well, okay, I'm not happy in Georgia for a myriad of reasons. I'll just go to New York. I had never been there. And I got off the bus at the Port Authority in 1993. And it was like, peep show, peep show, peep show. <laughs> triple X, triple X, nudie picture, nudie picture. And I was mm-hmm. like, what is happening? It's before, it's before Disney took over Times Square. Mm-hmm. It was really rough. Yeah. And uh, I ended up living like Riverside and 120th, which is a pretty rough part of town up yeah. just below Columbia University. And I was so broke. I would buy – there was this – Italian restaurant called La Familia, and I would buy one huge pan of spaghetti and mm-hmm. eat it for five days because that's like, that's how all I could afford. And there's so much value to that kind mm-hmm. of jumping off the cliff and just right. throwing myself into this place I'd never been to. And, and then going through all this emotional upheaval at the same time, I could be really anonymous there too. You can get completely lost in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I went there to study acting. And then while I was acting, I was like, well, no one's hiring me because I have a Southern accent. And they keep saying, you got to get rid of your accent. And I keep saying, but why? Mm. But why? Why don't I just write something that has a Southern accent? <laughs> so that's what I did. I wrote a one act that had a Southern accent and I produced it with some friends. And then I was like, hey, I actually like this better. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. So that's when you realized act, uh, writing is more what you want to do. Um, yeah. I have to tell you, I lived in New York for nine years um, after it had been cleaned up, but I also, I had started therapy in California, um, but I, New York is really, I'm just relating a lot to what you're saying about the, about the, the uh, transformation that happened in New York. Cause for me, that also was where I was like, I am noticing these patterns that I don't want to continue. And I want to just like strip away everything and figure this out. And I read a lot, you know, I was in therapy, I read a lot of self help, I went to the gym a lot, but it was like a very tough, but really special and helpful time too. And I know you what you mean about that anonymity too. And I think for me, it was like, important to get to go to the on the other side of the country from my family, because mm-hmm. that's what a lot of what I was working out too. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure that this kind of stuff we're talking about can happen in many places in the country but new york is a good place for it if you're able to go there to find yourself you can get lost super easily yeah and sometimes it's really easy to be anonymous and crying yes yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. that was one of the things i noticed right when i moved there like there's so many people just walking down the street crying (laughs) yeah But, but, but not in a like what's wrong with this place just the way the city is structured, you do a lot of your living as you're walking down the street. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of gives you permission totally. to just be who you are because everybody there is just who they are and no apologies. Yeah. Right. Um, and everyone's just in the midst of whatever they're in the midst of kind of smushed up against each other, which is nice. Um, so then did you come to California after New York? I did. I came here after New York. I moved here and just dove into writing. I wrote uh, eight screenplays in two years. Wow. And one got sold and made and four more got optioned. And I really, really loved it. It was really fun. And I made, I found my people here. Mm-hmm. I never found my people in New York. I definitely, I did never found my people in Atlanta. I got here and I was like, oh, here's my people. <laughs> I like you and I like you and I like you. And I've kept a lot of these people and I've added new people and this is where I feel the most myself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then when I go back to Georgia, I still feel the same self. But I think I don't think I could have found myself in Georgia. I don't know why, but I don't think I could have. I didn't mm-hmm. think I completely found myself till I came to LA. Can you describe the difference between the people in New York and the, to you and the people in LA? Because I have done a lot of thinking about this as well. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you say. <laughs> I just said this to someone yesterday who I don't remember who I was talking to, but I was talking about somebody else who moved to New York. I felt really dumb in New York. Mm. I felt like a dumb girl because uh, people would go, so I went to Choate and, and I was like, <laughs> is Choate a bar? What are you talking about? I don't know what that is. And there were so many things that would, so I was shopping at this high end designer fashion store and I would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And f- I just felt really dumb there. I felt very dumb and very, uh, a very unimportant. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I needed to feel important for ego, but I felt it, it didn't, my self-esteem didn't work there. Mm-hmm. I just felt really dumb. It's a really hard city. Yeah. It's a really hard city. Um, I, yeah, my whole life, I thought New York is where I will feel at home. New York is where I'm supposed to go. Um, I, I don't, I, I never, I grew up in Orange County, California. I never felt like I fit in there. Um, people always assumed I was from New York. So I'm like that. And my dad is from New York um, originally. So I'm like, that's where I'm probably. And, and I was a, a journalist. So that's, you know, where all the journalism was. So that's where I should go. And I will feel at home there. And I loved it. But I also never quite found my people in New mm-hmm. York. Um, there was something dis- what I was sort of disappointed and disheartened by was in New York, people struck me as very serious. Like it felt like a very sober city, even though there was a ton of drinking, but just the attitude was sober and sobering. And I remember talking to my landlord in Brooklyn about that. And she's like, the city really changed after 9-11. So maybe it was different before, but just no, just, yeah, it wasn't. maybe not. I mean, just no. juxtaposing my experience at, I worked at Time Out New York in New York. And then I worked at the OC Weekly in California before that. And at the OC Weekly, we would joke around and laugh and be silly. And it really had like a collegiate kind of feel. Whereas Time Out New York felt so like everyone was so overworked and underpaid. And it felt like a, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that I had my job there. Thank you very much. But it was also, it felt like a sweatshop and it was Mm -hmm. like, the people here who are telling everyone what's going on in the city, we barely have time to like go out into the city and no one really talked to each other. And it was just very cold feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have that experience in every like work situation in New York. I had plenty of laughs and a lot of fun in different situations, but for the most part, I just like to be lighter and sillier at times. And I couldn't find that sort of light, silly absurdity in New York. And then I came back to California um, I moved back and I wondered, am I making a mistake? I don't feel like I'm done with New York. Um, and then like pretty quickly, I got a job that I liked and I met Daniel, who is now my husband. And I just realized like it's easier for me to have a more balanced life somehow in California. In New York, it was just exclusively about my career and about – comparing I mean kind of the stuff I was talking about at the beginning so I I'm not completely over it but like comparing myself to other people and measuring my success and that's you know it was just a hundred percent that whereas here it's just much more balanced and I and people are funny and silly and I don't know but but I do miss New York a lot and I certainly uh 
I do not like hot weather, so Burbank is not my favorite, but New York is also super hot sometimes, so I don't know. I agree with you. I totally agree with everything you said. It was very serious and sobering. And the stuff people would talk about there, I would just be totally lost. I don't think I was old enough, maybe, mm-hmm. or uh, wise enough in, in, in worldliness to have really fit in there. Mm-hmm. I remember this one really nice girl I met. I don't even remember how I met her. She was so nice to me. Uh, invited me to the Hamptons for the weekend. And I was like, I don't really know what that is, but sure, I'll go. And she was like, pack a swimsuit. So I packed like my swimsuit and my flip-flops and, you know, no big deal. And she showed up in like high heel. Oh, wow. Uh, like Givenchy shoes <laughs> and like a chiffon duster over her bikini. And I went, I don't know what's happening here. I thought we were going to the beach. Right. So I felt that way. All the time. Like everybody yeah. took themselves very seriously. Right. And I agree with you. Out here, you don't have to take yourself quite so seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, a good way. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, there's, there is a lot of self-importance there. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband has a real, like, sometimes I feel like it's almost a chip on his shoulder, but just a real sort of uh, anger toward people who grew up with a lot, like towards the people who went to Choate and prep schools and things like that. And so I find myself kind of defending New York and defending, uh, like, not all of those people are so bad, but they definitely are self-important. Right, right, right. So, uh, listen, I want to tell you guys about uh, something that I think relates to a lot of what we're talking about, and that is better help. If you're feeling depressed or struggling with uncertainty or having difficulty sleeping or meeting your goals, BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can listen and help. BetterHelp will help assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Um, so I don't know how much you guys are aware, but especially during this past year and a half, getting in with a traditional therapist can be difficult because they have these crazy uh, waiting lists. And so I know two friends who are doing better help currently and who are finding it to be so helpful. One of them loved the therapist they were matched with right away and is still with that person. The other one did felt like the first therapist they were matched with maybe wasn't the right fit. And so then they were uh, paired with a different therapist and they love that person. They feel like they're getting so much out of it. So one of the things I love about BetterHelp is it is you, you are not committing to a bunch of sessions with someone just sight unseen. You can change, you can change therapists as many times as you want with no extra charge. Uh, and they will get you to the right person. I know when I started therapy, I, that was one of my concerns. Like, what if I, I don't know what, well, I didn't know what to expect. I don't know what, it, what, it, am I, what if I don't like the person? What if I don't like how it feels? What, if, you know, I just was all filled with anxiety. Um, so knowing that I would be able to get to a different person, if I didn't like the first one, that would have made me feel a ton better. Um, and also better help can be more affordable than traditional therapy and, uh, financial aid is available. Our podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and our listeners get 10% off their first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash best friend. Visit BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash best friend, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp professional. Um, I also want to tell you guys about purple mattresses. Doesn't it seem like the world's against us when it comes to getting a good night's sleep this time of year? You know who's against me when it comes to getting a good night's sleep? It's my four and a half year old son. Uh, he crawls into our bed. 
He turns sideways. He moves around a lot. But here's the thing. When you have a purple mattress, you can sleep cool and comfortable no matter what the world or your sun throws at you. That's because only purple mattresses have the grid. And usually I have a little sample of the grid. It's this purple uh, purple square of like, uh, it's like a grid. It's, it's, I wish I had it. Words are failing me. And that is a really <laughs> terrible situation to be in. My kids grab it because it's so cool. But anyway, you know what? I'm just going to tell you more about it and then it'll bring to mind what it looks like. So it's a unique ventilated design that allows air to flow through to help you sleep cool, even when it feels like a thousand degrees out. So I just like to t- hold it and squish it. Um, it's like it feels so good and sleeping on it putting your whole body on it and having the air circulate through this grid design. It's amazing. The grid is amazingly supportive for your back and legs while cushioning your shoulders, neck and hips, no matter how you sleep. Uh, so not only is my purple mattress, the most comfortable mattress, it has made me sleep more soundly and effectively. And I know it will for you too. try your purple mattress risk-free with free shipping and returns. Financing is available too. purple is comfort reinvented right now. You get 10% off any order of $200 or more. Go to purple.com slash best friend 10 and use promo code best friend 10. That's purple.com slash best friend 10 promo code best friend 10 for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Purple.com slash best friend 10 promo code best friend 10 terms apply. Okay. Um, so I would love to hear how you met Bert. (laughs) (laughs) How I met Bert. Well, we met twice before I remember meeting him. I have no memory of meeting him the first two times we met. One time he walked in on a writing session. I was writing with a partner and I was really angry. No memory of that at all. (laughs) And then we met at a yoga class. No memory of that at all. But he remembered it. Um, (laughs) So the third time we met, um, we went bowling. Uh, A friend of mine who was um, in a couple at invited a bunch of people bowling. So we split the teams into singles and couples and I was on the singles team. And so was Bert and we bowled all night at the end of the night. I said to his roommate, Hey, he's pretty funny. Why don't you give him my phone number? I mean, we'll go out a couple times, but I'm definitely not getting involved with the comic. Um, <laughs> famous last words, right? So Did, had he, you dated comedians before? Is that what made you no. say that? No, no. You just knew that you didn't think that was going to work out for you. Well, I was like, there. I don't know why, but I instinctively was like, they can be unstable. Mm. They can be, you know, it's such a gamble as far as your security and basic needs are concerned. I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about his career, but I just knew comics sometimes can struggle and never make it. Mm -hmm. Not because they're not talented, just because the path doesn't kind of rise to meet them for whatever reason. And, you know, a girl's got to take care of herself too. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, we'll just have a good time. And then, and then we'll be friends forever. That's actually <laughs> what I said. We'll, we'll go out a couple times and then we'll be friends forever. And so I gave, I was like, give him my number, like five days go by and he doesn't call. So I called his roommate and went, oh, what's the deal? I'm a cute girl. We had a blast bowling. Why didn't he call me? And he goes, yeah. ask him yourself and <laughs> hands Bert the phone. And I go, dude. I'm a cute girl. Why did why didn't you call me? And he, and he literally went, uh, 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 uh. And I was like, if I, I knew he was, I had a sense that he was scared of, of girls. Right. <laughs> and I use the word girls because mm-hmm. like 
he was scared of dating. Like mm-hmm. he's not scared of women. He he would talk to you all day long. He's not afraid of women. But for whatever reason, girls imply someone you can date. Right. And he was really scared of like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, just ask me out, dude, and I'll say yes. And so he's like, you want to go on a date? I said, yes. And then he hung the phone up and turned to his roommate and went, she's just after me for my body. (laughs) (laughs) I was not, for the record, after him for his body. I was not after him for his body. That's amazing. I thought he was fun and funny. So he shows up to the date and I'm dressed for a date. Mm -hmm. I have dress, heels, ready for a date. And he has a full-blown panic attack. His panic attack is so severe, he can no longer tolerate shoes. He has to take his <laughs> shoes off on our first date. And I'm like, what's happening? He takes me to dinner, can't have his shoes on, orders dinner, does not touch a bite, does not eat one bite. Could you Dro- tell he was having a panic attack? I could tell he was extremely, extremely nervous and flustered. Mm-hmm. And he was still trying to have fun. But I was like, something, he's really nervous. Like, I'm not doing anything but just being myself. So mm-hmm. he, I'm making him very nervous. Yeah. But he wouldn't let our date end. Like, we finished dinner, and he's like, how about we go over here and get dessert? Okay. How about we go over here and get a drink? Okay. We close the bar down. He walks me home. He's like, how about I come in? And I was like, how about, how about I see you another time, right? He calls me at 9 o'clock the next day. What are you doing tonight? Aww. Next day, what are you doing tonight? Next day, what are you doing tonight? And for what I believe in signs, I'm mm-hmm. such a weirdo that way, but I believe in like signs. And the first time he told me his telephone number, I remembered it. Oh, Very wow. first time. He gave me his number and I remembered it. And I went, huh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then a few other little things like that happened really right in the beginning of our relationship. And I thought, I should pay attention to this guy because. That's not a coincidence. What were the uh, other signs? I can't remember, but I remember I remember the phone number. That was mm-hmm. the first one. I remember thinking to myself, this guy has a great voice. I could listen to that every day. And then I, I, I just remember little things like the phone number incident happening in my sixth sense going, you should pay attention here. Mm-hmm. So after some time, I was like, wow, I've been dating these like, you know, three-piece suit, real stable, super good-looking Completely without personality, people thinking Were you that's just using what I them needed. for their body. Yes, I was. In <laughs> fact, I was. No, I didn't know. I don't think I understood what I needed. So, uh, yeah. So we dated for a while, and then we were like, "Oh yeah, I think this is actually gonna work." We were that- we're really good friends, on top of being, you know, in love. But when we were first dating, we were both very broke. And our dates consisted of like Scrabble tournaments. Mm-hmm. And we were like, if we can play Scrabble for six hours, I think we're going to be okay. Um, so that's kind of how we started. Um, it's been an interesting ride to start out with a comic that was not successful, that was not touring, that was making maybe 500 bucks a week if he was lucky, to where he is now. It's been really inspiring yeah. to watch him grow. So I feel very privileged to have been with him this long. If you were to uh, put into words what it was he had that you needed, like what would you say it is? Because it's interesting. Exactly, yeah. It's so interesting the way life works because I think that hearing about your 
upbringing, someone might think one of these like super quote unquote stable three piece suit guys like that would be good for you. And then it turns out to be Bert, who's somewhat unpredictable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that is a double edged sword. I think Bert is not a narcissist, Mm -hmm. but he is very Mm self-focused. So one might mistake that as narcissism, but that's actually not it. He's not Mm -hmm. a selfish person. He's very giving, but he's very self-focused. And because of my upbringing, I'm not really comfortable being cared for Mm. like a lot of women want to be cared for. I don't really like that so Mm -hmm. much. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. So I think that kind of worked that he's not someone who he's very caring, loving person, but he's not a doting like. Does it make you feel smothered or it's like because your because your mother was so focused and controlling or because you never had someone who cared for you? It feels weird. I think kind of both. I think uh, the focused and smothered, I do feel very smothered if mm-hmm. if I, someone's like, so now, so now what do you need? So now what are we going to do? So now I'm like, oh my God. Uh-huh. <laughs> so now I'm going to go in this room by myself for 15 minutes and yeah. then we'll be back. So I think it's that. And I think the other part of it was, <laughs> this sounds really funny, but I, from the beginning, he was so in love with me. That I thought this guy is never leaving. Mm-hmm. Like my experience of love was if I make my mommy mad, she leaves and she leaves for real. Mm-hmm. Like she left for a year and a half when I was four. And then she left again for like two years when I was 13. And then she left again when I was 23. And she leaves like done. She leaves mm-hmm. and she takes her whole family with her. Like when she leaves, usually. No one in her entire family will speak to me. They're mm-hmm. all, the, it's too much trouble to go against her. So they just stay in her, in her little cowboy town. Right. And I ride off by myself. So I just had this sense that he would never leave. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would have to do something so egregious, which is so out of character for who I am to make him leave that that piece of it, I thought, well, that's where I need to be is mm-hmm. somewhere where I feel seen for who I am and adored for it. Uh, even with my warts and my <laughs> flaws, I for sure feel that way that Bert feels that way about me. And mm-hmm. my dad always felt that way about me. There was mm-hmm. n- nothing I could have done that would have made my dad not love me. So I'm sure these three piece suit guys had all that somewhere inside, but I couldn't really feel it the way mm-hmm. I felt it from Bert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Aww. That's it was undeniable sweet. from Bert Kreischer. He's so a very sweet guy. <laughs> when he called you at 9 a.m. the next day, did you hang out like nonstop? We did. I was like, I'm actually going to yoga. You're welcome to come with me. And he was like, okay. I didn't, I didn't change my life for him. Mm-hmm. I continued my life and invited him to join me. So, and he did. So, and I joined him in his life some too. He, he is an excellent cook. I, if I could go never cook again, I'd be good. Mm-hmm. And so we'd go to yoga and then I'd go to his house and he'd cook me dinner. And then we'd go for a hike the next day and then I'd go to his house and he'd cook me dinner. So it kind of evolved like that where we kind of wove ourselves in and out of each other's lives. I definitely didn't just go, well, let me just see you every day. I remember there was a certain point where I was like, you know, we don't have to see each other every day. It's, it's cool if we don't mm-hmm. see each other. And he just, he was like, no, but I want to see you. But I want to see you like you're the person I want to see. And I thought, that's so nice to hear. And then at the same time, the flip side of the frat boy that I married (laughs) uh, 
we were at a party after we'd been together for like three months and he was like, yeah, this is my friend Leanne. And I went, I'm your girlfriend. And he goes, well, I mean, we're not using that terminology. And I was like, dude, I'm 31 years old. You spend every waking moment with me. I'm your girlfriend. So call me your girlfriend. And he goes, yeah, I guess you're right. I think you are my girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Frat boy that you are. Yeah. So that's so good that you knew yourself and what you needed, though. Again, I'm dazzled by your wisdom, Leanne. (laughs) I don't know about dazzled. You know, I have to say I dated a lot of a lot of guys. I, I I really tried to figure it out. And and I dated a lot of duds. A lot of great guys, but there were a lot of guys where I was like, why am I here? This Mm -hmm. is not at all what I want or need. So it wasn't that easy. It just kind of happened because I worked at it. Um, You mentioned how it's been really inspiring to watch his trajectory from, you know, struggling comedian to super successful. Now, along that path, has the success introduced challenges into your your life, marriage. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bert has something that we call Bert mode. (laughs) And when Bert's been um, the king for too Mm. long, he has a hard time just being Bert. Mm -hmm. And so if he's been on the road for a while, we have a period we openly call (laughs) reentry where I'm like, we're in reentry. So that means I'm going to push back when you say, Hey babe, how about you do every single thing for me? Mm -hmm. Because you have someone else who's been doing everything, every single thing for you. And that's not the nature of our relationship. And I think if I would let it, so would he, (laughs) (laughs) he'd be like, works for me that you do everything for me. And I just, I'm not going to be that person. Mm -hmm. So Sometimes that hurts his feelings a lot. And sometimes I'm impatient with his hurt feelings because Mm -hmm. I feel like after this long, dude, you should have figured this out. You don't just come home and start bossing me around like I work for you Mm -hmm. because I don't work for you and you get your feelings hurt. And why? Why are we doing this again? That that has been a challenge, that kind of cyclical reentry that happens. I have some of not the same thing, but I... I'm relating to the, um, I hope my husband doesn't hear this, but if he, <laughs> I, I love you, honey, but there are certain things where, where his feelings will get hurt over something. And it's like, we have been through this so many times. And I find, cause I want to be the person who, when someone's feelings are hurt, I, compassion is what I lead with, but I do find myself not have, that is not, you know, my go-to, but I, I, I am, like you said, I'm impatient. Uh, or like you said, you're impatient. I I also am impatient because I feel like, yeah, we have been through this and I am, uh, your hurt feelings are a sign that you're not seeing me in this situation. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that? How do you work your way out of that? That's a really tough one. Uh, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just have to eat it. Mm-hmm. And that's a flaw that I have. Um, it's because sometimes... You know, my comic husband can be very fragile and can be very reactive and emotional. Mm -hmm. And um, we joke all the time that he's the woman and I'm the man in this relationship. (laughs) I do not get my feelings hurt ever. I mean, it is so hard for you to hurt my feelings. I don't take things personally. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're in a bad mood that has nothing to do with me, 
Um, you can rant and rave all day long uh, if that's what you need to do. But I mean, he calls me dead inside because <laughs> I just don't, I don't take that shit personally. I just right. go, your bad mood has nothing to do with me unless I pissed you off and then let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. But that's not how he functions. So sometimes I have to just say, what is it worth for me to really get into this with him? Mm. It's not worth it. So I'm just going to let it, let the hullabaloo blow and tomorrow we're going to be good. But I'm not sure that's entirely healthy because I don't always get a voice. So I, like you said, like you just described, Bert's feelings are hurt, but my side is never considered. Like, you know, my wife would never do that intentionally or, you know, my wife didn't mean to hurt my feelings. Maybe I should give her the benefit of the doubt. Oh, that never happens at my house. I have always intentionally tried to destroy him. And I'm like, dude, I would never do that. That's not who I am, but that's how he feels. Right. And so I tried to to just kind of say, let him have the feeling because anything I say sort of makes it worse if I try to say, but let's consider the other side. Oh my God, it just makes it so much worse. I can consider the other side the next day when all these feelings have calmed down. But sometimes I want to say, motherfucker, shove it up your ass. (laughs) We have talked about this 8,000 times and I'm fucking sick of it. Grow up. Like that's how I feel. But what do I get from saying that? Yeah. I get a huge fight. Is that what I want or do I want to work it out? Well, the person that I married is not a person who can bring his level 13 emotions to a three, which is where they should be in the moment. He can't do that. So it'd be like me expecting an eight-year-old to drive a car. (laughs) I can't expect an eight-year-old to drive a car. Right. So I can wait till the the eight-year-old turns 16. So that's what I kind of have to do. I have to wait till the eight-year-old turns 16 the next day, and then we can drive around together. But it is very frustrating. It's one of the reasons I'm still in therapy, because I'll, th- I'll call my therapist my weekly session and go, here's what happened. Here's where I should be vindicated. Here's what I did right. And she'll just, you know, walk me through it and validate me if I, it's necessary and tell me where I screwed up if, it, if I did, and then I can kind of process it out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's healthy, but that's kind of how I do it. It seems like it's working for you guys. I it mean, it is, seems like you have a lot of clarity about it, too. You know, one thing that I saw my mom not do that I was determined to do is want, this goes back to the very beginning of your podcast, is to want the other person to be happy mm-hmm. as much as I want myself to be happy. Not to make want them to be happy more than I want myself. But to at least be mindful that their happiness matters. Yeah. And so if I can always do that, then I try, then it makes my endurance of whatever drama is happening for Bert easier because I really do want him to be happy. I don't want him to feel this way. So if I can kind of keep in mind that my role at least is to make sure that I'm always mindful of his happiness as well as my own, then I feel like I'm doing a good job. Even Mm -hmm. if we have a contentious fight or even if we don't get over it till the next day, if, if that's my intention, then I can't do much better than that. Mm -hmm. That is a really good intention. Um, So we have some questions that listeners sent in. 
Uh, I take questions on, so I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen, all sorts of Patreon. fun stuff there. Weekly bonus <laughs> episode called The Friend Zone. Zoom parties. There's a level where you can text me and I will text you back. Yesterday I was uh, on the exercise bike watching The White Lotus. Guess who got to hear about that? It's the people. I should be paying them to tell them, but they're, they're signed up to hear about that. Um, and, uh, Tony, what am I for? Oh, I know. Uh, on the Thursday group show, uh, you get the patrons get the videos to those shows. And that's super fun. So patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. And you can submit questions for guests. Uh, and I always forget to mention till the very end when I'm talking about something else. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. I meant to tell you. So I'm just going to remember and I'm going to tell you now. If you sign up for an annual subscription, you get two months free. So it's 12 months for the price of 10. Okay. Let's answer some questions. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. All right. So first is a comment, not a question. But Leanne Ward says, I'm looking forward to this interview. She was a hoot on Childish, especially when she demonstrated how she talks to her chickens. Yes. How are the girls? They have passed. <gasps> oh, no. A possum got in the coop. Oh, no. And I thought I'd gotten rid of the possum, and he was a sneaky sucker. And they're really stupid. You know why? He killed the chicken to eat the egg. <laughs> Where does he think the egg came from? Is the well, egg just going to magically appear next day? Right. No. I was devastated. I was heartbroken. This sneaky asshole snuck in the coop in daylight and stayed there until the chickens went in at dark and I closed them in at dark to keep them safe Aww. and he killed them. So, but my two bull mastiffs got revenge. They got They him. caught the possum. Yeah. The possum got in the coop after all the chickens were gone and the dogs got the possum. Oh so, boy. Real circle. street justice. Some circle frontier justice, right? I'm super devastated. And I'm now that so we've sorry. moved, once we get settled, I will be getting some more chickens. I'm so sorry. How many did you have? Three. Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry that I just like, without knowing anything, just asked that question. So hopefully I'm brought up this trauma. That's ah, okay. It's okay. It's tough. The sweet uh, girls. Yeah. But you're going to get more. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, we had uh, a duck. And a chicken. I had many, but at this point, just one duck and a chicken. And a coyote got our duck, and it was, they're very vulnerable. Yes, they are. Uh, and apparently delicious to <laughs> other animals and to us, really. And to Think us, about yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Christina says, ask her about her health kick and how she is stuck with it. She looks amazing. Oh, that's so nice. You know, I am an elite athlete. Totally. <laughs> no. Um, a couple years ago, I realized, you know, I'm 51 next week. And a, probably when I was about 48, I realized I was a, having a hard time just standing up from the floor. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's not okay. I'm like 48. I need to figure something out. So at the same time, I had a back injury and I couldn't get anybody to really figure out what was going on with my back. I found a chiropractor that helped me, but she was like, now you got to start like working out. Mm -hmm. with a trainer who knows how to rehab this part of your body. Let me tell you something. I resisted working out with uh, personal trainers my whole life thinking 
I can do this. I know how to get on the treadmill. I know how to lift dumbbells. I don't need a personal trainer. I was totally incorrect. Mm. At my age, which is not old, but I'm not young either. This is when things start changing Mm -hmm. in your body, especially your musculature. Um, uh, Working out with a trainer has been life-changing, absolutely life-changing, because I feel so strong. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've felt this strong since I was probably in my early 20s. My body doesn't look like I'm in my early 20s per se, (laughs) but I feel really good Mm -hmm. and it's from the trainer. Um, And I know not everybody has access to that, but there are ways to get training without paying a premium. And, uh, you know, a lot of gyms offer personal training for free for some sessions. My trainer has been on my podcast um, and you're welcome to listen to that episode. But he says any personal trainer who's in the personal training business to help people will understand when someone has a financial issue and will be helpful because mm-hmm. that's what they started doing that for. So there's always a way to find someone who can help you if you're really motivated. But that's my health kick. I am relating to this so much. I'm 46, uh, two little kids. So there's a ton of getting on the floor, getting up from the floor. And just the other day, I had a sore neck all day. And I don't even know what I did. Like I turned the wrong way or something. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, yeah, I am feeling my age. Can I ask you this hyper, super, super personal, but I feel like you're kind of an open book. Um, uh, uh, perimenopause, menopause, all of that. Do you talk about that stuff? Oh, it sucks. I am in perimenopause. Um, I, I sweat fucking buckets. I sweat like Pavlovian. I feel like the minute the sunshine hits my body, I'm like an oil slick. (laughs) And it's definitely hormonal. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many things that have happened in my hormone. And I've been perimenopausal for a long time. People don't realize that sometimes it can last like 10 or 12 years. Yeah, I think I'm perimenopausal. Uh, I started... My periods are insane right now. uh, Insane like heavy? They're irregular. Mm -hmm. Um. I have endometriosis. I've always had... Sorry, Tony, cover your ears. I've, <laughs> <laughs> Girl we're talk. Ab- abusing you with our, with our uh, gal chat. In fact, we should hear gal chat. Gal chat. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so always had bad cramps, always had heavy periods. But uh, in this past year, there were a couple months where it was like, 40 or 50 days between periods and I was like this is great and weird but great and then more recently it's been like there's 21 days between and they're super super heavy Um, yeah my friend is going through that mine are like I'm still on birth control because mm -hmm. of my husband and if you have a period at all, my my doctor said if you have any type of period in a like within 12 months you can still get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still on the pill because my husband will not get fixed. So do you want him to? Oh uh, yeah, that'd be <laughs> awesome. I'd love to be off the pill. Right. Uh, but he is not interested. Uh, <laughs> Not interested in uh, taking that off the market. I don't know who he's remarrying at what point, but I was it's like, reversible. I told him that he's like, yeah. no, 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 whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever. But so, yeah, I've been, I've been, I started night sweating probably eight years ago. Mm. Uh, I mean, like to the point where I have to change clothes. 
Right. It's so intense and it's really miserable. But my periods I have every month because I'm on the pill, but they're like, bloop. And oh, that's done. nice. That's bloop. nice. I have a friend <laughs> I went on a flight with and she was like, oh shit, in the middle of the flight. And before she could even get to the bathroom, she'd mess the, the whole chair up. And I was like, how embarrassing to be 50. Yeah. No, that's going to be me. Like I totally, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actually thinking about just getting the whole kit and caboodle taken out. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Well, now, why do you say that, though? Because I actually, so um, the BRCA gene, which is the, you know, that genetic mutation that raises your, increases your um, chances of getting breast or ovarian cancer runs in my family. I don't have it, but because it runs in my family, a doctor told me, like, when you're done having your kids, you should probably think about getting that stuff out. So I mm-hmm. do have an indication, but I but I have, and I've just started thinking about it again, like, maybe it's time to sort of look into that more. Right, right. Um, but then I know that there's also reasons to keep it all, but I forget what they are. I think it you, you it's still hormonally based. Yeah. The reasons to keep it is about your hormones. Well, so I would then go on replacement hormones but that sounds like a real like i always hated being on the pill um uh, that sounds like a real unfun journey to figure out like what level of hormones are working and then also i feel like my metabolism i've always had a sluggish metabolism but i feel like it's like even even more sluggish and i just wonder what what would happen to that yeah, your hormones regulate so much. And I don't even really think modern medicine completely understands the female hormone at, at, at all, right. really. So, I mean, obviously, if you are predisposed or you have that genetic background, that's a different ball game. But mm-hmm. I think for most people, I think from what I understand in all my medical expertise, <laughs> right. which is zero, but all I've ever heard is you should try and keep as much of your lady parts as you can because of your hormones, because you need those hormones all your life mm-hmm. and they do produce hormones all your life. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think I need to talk to a doctor. Um, pro- yeah. Pro- do you sure. have a doctor you like? Uh, I am so freaking from the farm. I just go to my like regular doctor for all oh, my yeah? lady parts. Yeah. I'm like, do I need to go to a special doctor? She's like, do you have any kind of history of any kind of lady doctor type problems? And I was like, no, I got nothing. So she's like, no, I don't know why you need to go see a gynecologist. A fancy so gynecologist. That's yeah, too fancy for me. I'm <laughs> a high stop shop girl. Yeah. People who went to Choate see gynecologists. Uh, <laughs> they, in the Hamptons. They do. <laughs> With their high heel flip flops on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, okay. Joy Whitbeck has a question. Um, we, we covered it a little bit, but based on what we listeners know about her relationship with Bert from their podcast, I assume she's not often given space to have a bad day or morning or moment without it spreading around the house. My impression is that she is a very strong and positive person, but we all have low points. How does she deal with these and care for herself while supporting her family? P.S. Thank you for your interview with Bert a few years ago. It led me to find and enjoy Bertcast and then Wife of the Party. Oh, that's nice. So nice. I know. Yeah. She is completely accurate. If I'm having a low day, um, it does affect Bert. It doesn't affect the the girls. Mm-hmm. They, they're pretty strong, independent individuals, our two girls. And they're 15 and 17. So it's, I'm sure when they're younger, if I had a bad day, it affected them. But I don't really have a lot of bad days. I, I don't, I don't, I'm. 
I guess I am dead inside. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really have, you know what? When on this journey of self-discovery, I did two things that were really important. One was I created my own Bible. I am not religious, but I started a notebook where I started collecting thoughts and ideas that were in alignment with, with what I thought was the best expression of your higher self. They could have been lyrics to a song, poetry, lines out of a magazine, a quote from Bette Midler. I mean, I have this Bible is full of all kinds of stuff. And I referenced that all the time. I started that Bible in 1996 and I still add to it today. So if anybody says anything or if I read something that is that I go, yes, that's what I'm talking about. I need to remember that. I need to keep that as part of my soul. I put it in this book. I love that. It's my Bible. And then that the other so, thing. Um, I, I, I got to do that because I'm always like, I need to f- make a file of somewhere to go to like remind myself of things mm-hmm. like that. But then I don't actually, I'll bookmark an Instagram post every now and again. But <laughs> uh, that's yeah. not the same. <laughs> it's maybe not the same, but you know, and I still, if I ever do feel kind of low, I pick that book up and just open it. And then I, I believe that whatever I'm supposed to hear is where I open the book and I'll read it and go, huh, guess I was supposed to hear that today. Move on. And every single thing I put in that book has inspired me, really moved I love me. that. I know for so, a period of time you were putting a quote on a clipboard, like quote of the week, right? Are those from the Bible? Yes. That's all from my Bible. I love that. Uh, and then the other thing I did a long time ago is I decided that I would live my life with grace and gratitude, the two G's. So every morning before my feet hit the floor, I, I am grateful. I'm so, I just wake up with gratitude and it's never specific. I'm not like, I'm grateful for my health or I'm grateful that I am secure. It's just a general gratitude. And every single night I say the Lord's prayer and I'm not even religious, Mm -hmm. but that prayer for whatever reason is like ritualistic to me of a way of just saying I am connected to my higher self and to God and to to spirit world or whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. But uh, for me, it was too task oriented to go, you know, thank you for this and thank you for that. And I pray for this to happen. And part of me doesn't really believe in that. You know, Mm -hmm. if you, to pray for like, I want to be a millionaire. I think that's disrespectful to the, the, the being you're praying to. They mm-hmm. should tell you how you are or the universe should lay it out for you. This is your abundance or this right. is your success. And for you to ask for it puts parameters on what you're open to receive. So then you're open to receiving what you've asked for mm-hmm. instead of just saying, I, I accept whatever it is you give me and I'm grateful for it. And so those two things keep me kind of stable. I really don't wake up in a bad mood very often. It's really rare. Um, now if I get sick, like the flu, mm-hmm. I'm screwed <laughs> because I'm like in bed and Bert, Bert's like, Hey, have you seen my car keys? And I'm like, dude, I have a fever. You know where my wallet is? Oh my God. You can't just help me find my wallet. And I'm like, dude, I have the flu. That's the one time where he has a hard time balancing. But what about when your girls were little? Did you wake up with gratitude then? Like when they were babies? And um, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about how often I wake up in a, in a not great mood. 
Not all. No, not always for sure. And I definitely had postpartum with Isla. I'm sure I had it with Georgia to to some extent, but Mm -hmm. I definitely had it with Isla. And I had my heart was completely full of hate every Mm -hmm. minute of every day. I was I hated everything. I was very rageful. My postpartum was rageful. It wasn't depression. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I definitely had those moments and I definitely have moments when you have a toddler who's like throwing food at your head. I'm not like, I'm so grateful. I don't, (laughs) I don't want you to think that. I mean, I am human, but I try to start my day, you know, being grateful, be grateful that I have a kid that's going to throw food at my head. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I'll have that story to tell when she's getting married yeah. and when she has her own kids. I um I had a bout with, uh, with postpartum as well. Do you have theories for why, why you got it with Isla? And not with Georgia? Yeah. Like where there's, well, for, for me, I had a traumatic birth. Um, and I think, and it was just like, yeah, I was just like, what? My kid had to go to the NICU. And so Ooh. I didn't get to hold him for a while. And I think, about I guess it was like five months after I was just like something's not right in my head like I Mm -hmm. am too there's I'm thinking of horrible outcomes and I'm anxious all the time and this is more than just baby blues and so then I got back into therapy then but um yeah what was going on with you Uh, I was just angry all the time I was angry and I had this I almost had like two people in my head where I knew that what I was feeling was not correct Mm mm-hmm And, but I was still feeling it and I couldn't regulate it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm a super regulated person. I just naturally self-regulate and I was not self-regulating. And I knew that that was not my, me Mm -hmm. like that's, this is not me. So I remember one time I thought to myself, it would feel so good to throw Isla on the bed and watch her bounce. Just watch her body just go boom. That would feel so good. So I put her down gently and went in the bathroom and broke the toilet. <laughs> With what? I picked the toilet lid off the tank and just slammed it on the toilet and broke it. And I was like, wow. I feel much better. I feel so much better. <laughs> I probably should call my doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to call my doctor because this is not, I've now reached a place where this might become unmanageable really soon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was by myself. I had, Bert was on the road. So I didn't really have a lot of breaks. And I think I was angry about that too. Mm-hmm. Not angry at Bert just angry that this is the way it was and yeah. that I didn't have any options. And we were so broke. We couldn't afford a nanny. I didn't have any help. Um, and I don't have a mom, so mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody to fly in. I had my mother-in-law, but you know, I, that's different. It's just kind of different. I always felt like I'm imposing, even though she never felt that way or indicated that she did. Mm-hmm. You know, my aunt would come to town. And I'd be like, here, take her for 20 days. I'm good. But I would <laughs> never do that to my mother-in-law. Right. So, um, so I don't know. Yeah, mine was just uh, uh, almost inability to control rage mm-hmm. um, till I broke the toilet. And then I went, okay, I think I need to go to the doctor. Um, and then you were, you got help and it abated? It did. You know what? She's, she did some blood work and she was like, you have almost no estrogen in your body. Mm. So you need to go back on the pill. And as soon as the pill was in my body for, I'm not joking, like maybe three days. And I was like, oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> okay. No more rage. It all just kind of went. Not oh, that I didn't so ever get mad at my kids, but I didn't have the like, I would love to throw my child down and just mm-hmm. watch her. But I didn't have any of those thoughts again. So it was completely a hormonal imbalance for me. Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. 
Um, so, and you got help through therapy? Yeah, I went to therapy. Um, I, I had never been on an antidepressant before. I had been sort of wary of them. Although at this point, like everyone around me was on something and, and it was helping them a ton. Um, so I was open to it for the first time. So I went on Lexapro and that helped a lot too. Um, yeah. yeah. And I still see that same therapist now. She specializes in, I mean, she sees all kinds of people, but I think she specializes in like postpartum women. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. And then, I mean, they say that it takes like, I want to say like six weeks for the full effects of an antidepressant to kick in. But I, and it's maybe it's just because I was actually getting help, but like within a few days, I noticed that I was actually like singing to my kids and without crying. And, (laughs) and, um, yeah, I mean, I, it really turned around pretty quickly. That's great. Yeah. It's it's a shame that it it's not. I don't know if it's not socially acceptable all over the U.S. Or it's a shame that people can't just let themselves be helped when mm-hmm. they have that problem because it is so clearly about an imbalance, right? And what do you expect? Your body's just completely like turned inside out yes. and then put itself back right side in. Yeah. How could you not have some kind of imbalance? I mean, right. it doesn't even like the math of that doesn't even add up. Right. Um, right. I know. And I mean, I was surrounded by all these stories of like, the second I held my child, I felt a love unlike anything I had ever known. And I was like, I'm not feeling, I'm not having that. What is happening? No, I didn't have that with either kid, actually. I had a really, really difficult childbirth with Georgia. There was nothing wrong with Georgia, but I had a hard time. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being like, I think I just got hit by a truck and I'm supposed to actually love that thing mm-hmm. that is the truck that just hit me. Right. This is really, really hard. Um, not that I didn't love her, obviously, immediately, but I did not feel that warm and fuzzy thing that everybody right. felt. Right. I felt like I'd just been hit by a truck. Yeah. Um, it's really crazy childbirth. And, and yeah. you're not allowed to say that. You know? it, is, it is even a sm- even a good one is traumatic. I mean, it's just insane. I remember thinking, I can't believe every human on this earth their mother went through this <laughs> yeah right believe that it, it sort of uh altered what i think of the human experience as that it like starts in this violent traumatic way you know i mean those are sort of pejorative terms but that's how i saw it at the time but then with owen my second um because i had been in therapy i switched hospitals i switched doctors and i you know i did a lot of work with my therapist on to the extent I could control it, like trying to have a better experience. Um, and with Owen, it just, and also with Elliot, that's my first, my epidural didn't work. I was in a lot of pain. There was like a lot of stuff that, uh, didn't go right. Um, but with Owen, my epidural did work. And so, and it, it, the, when it kicked in, like it felt so good just to be, to n- not be, uh, did you have an epidural? Yes, and my first one turned into a spinal and did not work. And then my second one worked. And I always say delivering Isla was like giving birth to a feather. Yeah. I didn't even know what was happening. I mean, they came in and were like, okay, time to push. And I'm like, seriously? I don't right. feel anything. Yes, I had I had just been resting. Um, uh, yeah. It was so different. But I had, because I do this with myself, like I begin to distrust my own perceptions and things. So the more time that passed after I had given birth to Elliot, the more I began to think, well, maybe it was working. Like maybe, you know, maybe I imagined this or that, or maybe I would, I don't know. I just didn't, I, did, I didn't know what was, because parts of me were numb. Um, 
And I needed one stitch afterwards. And she, I didn't, I could feel the needle going in, but I didn't feel pain. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, maybe I just, maybe I'm just so fragile that like the pressure was feeling like pain or whatever. But then with Owen, when I felt what an epidural that works actually felt like, I was like, oh no, this definitely was not working the first time. Um, Yeah. And then with Owen, I was able to hold him like shortly after the birth and, you know, much more like the kind of, the kind of birth you would want. And I remember when I would hold him and like do skin to skin, I really did feel that calm and that peace and all that stuff that you're supposed to feel. So that was very nice to be able to experience that. Yeah, I felt similarly. My my labor with Georgia when I they botched my epidural and I got I had a spinal that meant I was fully paralyzed like completely paralyzed from the waist Jeez. down. And then as soon as the medication would wear off, I'd go to full pain. Mm. And then, and I've, it made me vomit the entire time. Oh God. I tore terribly. I had lots of stitches and, um, I went into some kind of like, I don't know if it's shock, but I started shaking like this. And then I, as soon as she was born, I was just like, uh, 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 forever. And then everyone left the room and George was born at seven 35 shift changes, seven 30. Oh, that's not, they walked great. out the door and turned the lights out and no one oh came God. back for me for an hour. I sat in the dark and shook by myself for a full hour. I was so traumatized by all that's of that. So awful. So Bert's in like my room where I'm supposed to be with family members and are like, all of a sudden they go, Hey. Where's Leanne? (laughs) (laughs) No one ever came back to get me. So uh, he he and where was George at this point? uh, She was in the nursery. They were bathing her and doing all this stuff. And and so (laughs) they sent someone back to get me. And I'm like, I got, 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 got. It was awful. And then that is awful. I don't know if this happened for you, but when you have a spinal, your spinal fluid actually leaks. So. Uh, when it happened, they were like, just so you know, you're going to have the most excruciating headache for mm. the next 10 days. So I hope you have someone who can care for your baby because you won't be able to sit upright. Oh, geez. And I was like, what? And thank God my aunt was there. Who's a labor and delivery nurse in Georgia. And she went, yep, this is going to be rough. So you're going to lay down and I'm just going to feed you Vicodin and I'll bring you the baby when it's time for her to eat. And then we're just going to leave and you're just going to sleep and you're just going to cry. And it's just going to have to happen. It's going to take about 10 days for that little piece of your spine to, to heal. And then you get to withdraw from Vicodin. So isn't it fun? And you'll be constipated. It's going to be awesome. Was the <laughs> was headache different. super bad? I it was so bad that I didn't even feel it. I could, mm. I was having an out of body experience. Oh gosh. Like I could hear myself whimpering as I sat upright. Like mm. he was like, if you lay flat, you won't have any pain. But once you sit upright, it's going to be excruciating, even with the Vicodin. Right. So I would sit up and I'd hear myself go, <laughs> and then I'd, I'd cry all the way to the bathroom and then I'd cry all the way back and I'd lay down and it would go away. And it was so painful. I didn't even really feel the pain. I yeah. just heard myself feeling the pain. It wow. was awful. I did not have that. But with epidurals, they always say one of the potential complications or side effects, like, you know, one in however many women do get these headaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I didn't have that. So that sounds brutal. 
It was awful. It's 1%. 1% get that headache. Yeah. So I said to all my friends, I have taken care of your 1%. (laughs) (laughs) Go in Uh, with confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we have two more questions. Joe Cooley says, what is Bert getting Tom for Christmas? Oh, God. (laughs) (sighs) This, I don't know. And I don't want to know. I think I know, but I can't tell you. And I'm not. It's not good. It's not good for me. It's good for, (laughs) they think it's really funny, but. They just keep getting each other extravagant gifts. Yes. We just bought Tom a Wave Runner. (laughs) Tom bought Bert an electric bicycle. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what Bert bought Tom to start this whole shenanigans. So I think it's, I think it's Bert's turn to receive something from Tom. So Bert's birthdays, they do it on their birthdays, not Christmas. Mm -hmm. So Bert's birthdays in November. So. He's called me and been like, how about like a golf cart for your backyard? And I'm like, don't need a, don't need a golf cart. How about a bomb shelter? How about pass? I don't want to dig a hole in my backyard. No. Um, what else? How about, how about, um, what did he say? A Polaris with a gun rack. I'm like, we live in Sherman Oaks. I'd be run out of town if I had a Polaris with a gun rack in Sherman Oaks. I can't know. So who knows what Tom's going to come up with? I have no idea. That is hilarious. Okay. Anna Q says, expecting a girl in November and would love any tips on raising girls. I have a three-year-old son, so I'm nervous and excited for girl energy. Oh, and you have two boys, don't you, Alice? I have two boys, yeah. My advice for girls would be, probably the same advice for boys, is I tried to see who they were as individuals and and like build on that not who they were as girls but who they were as individuals and then to just you know it's hard when you have the same gender kid sometimes i think because it's very natural to compare Mm -hmm. you know this one does this this one doesn't i try really hard not to do that but the other side of that coin is you can't parent them the same either There's, I mean, we don't hit each other. That's the same for both kids. But one kid of mine is dyslexic. One can phone it in and get straight A's. So I can't really parent them the same in school. And I think that's hard for the two girls to kind of reconcile. Mm -hmm. So I continually talk to them because girls are so complicated and can be very emotional and can be emotional and not tell you or show you. Mm. So I try to watch them and to kind of have conversations with them about why I parent the way I parent so that they can see that I see who they really are mm-hmm. and that I'm parenting to that and that that may not make them happy and that they may look at their sister and go, I know that Georgia spent a lot of time going, why do you spend so much time with Isla with her schoolwork? Mm. Well, Isla's really dyslexic. So if Isla has to read 30 pages in her U.S. history book, she needs some help. You don't need that help. You need help in other areas. But I never want Georgia to feel slighted because her sister needs help in a place where she doesn't. So, and I think that happens maybe with girls more than what I observe with boys. I don't have boys, but what I observe with boys is they could care less about some of that stuff. But girls kind of do. So I try to see who they really are and just build on that. And to also say, 
my girls are so different. You're so lucky that you have a sister who is different from you in these ways, because you know what, when you decide you're going to lease your first apartment and you can't read the lease contract and understand it, you call your sister and go, Hey, can you read this lease contract and explain it to me? And she can. And when your sister is trying to decorate her house, she'll call you and go, Hey, does this couch go with this chair? Because I was really good at visual art. So if you can show them how they benefit from the other person's differences, I think it's really positive and powerful to help them kind of embrace that instead of be competitive with it. I think girls are far more competitive than boys. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I hope that was helpful. (laughs) I think that's really helpful. Leanna, it's been so nice having you on the show and getting to know you. Thank you so, so, so much. And we didn't even do just mirror everyone or hey, go fuck yourself. My other segments. So you'll just have to come back someday. Well, I have them prepared. So whenever you're ready, (laughs) I have them prepared. (laughs) Well, I mean... I feel like we have to do at least one of them then since you have them. Which one do you want to do? Uh, Okay, we'll do the easiest one because the cursing someone out might take 15 minutes. <laughs> um, I, okay. Wait, I, hang, on, hang on one second. If we're okay, okay. just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay, this is uh, something you think or do and you wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? Okay, is it just me or <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed to say this. No, don't be. It, we, we, we reveal all sorts of embarrassing things. Embar- Lost the ability <laughs> to speak. We reveal all sorts of embarrassing things is what I was trying to say. Um, what, and then you're going to say you're embarrassed about that, but I'm what, I, I take a wet cloth and wipe my couch down regularly. Is that just me? Or is that everyone? Well, I am kind of fastidious about the couch too, but I will take... Okay, well, so I, my kids, we use water wipes. This is probably so bad for the environment, but we use water wipes all the time. Like those are the the best butt wipes I find for little kids. Um, But I've found that water wipes are really good at cleaning up stains as well. So if I see something on the couch, I'll take a water wipe to it. And I do that like throughout the day all the time, but I don't just take a wet cloth and wipe the entire couch down. Is that what you do? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I do. Tell me more. (laughs) Why? I just, because I feel like, I feel like unless your couch is white and I have a new couch, which is not white, okay. you can't really see when it's dirty. Mm. So then I don't, lo- I don't want it to be dirty. So I like wipe it. And I'm not like this. No, I can have no germs and yeah. no dirt, but I have 230 pound dogs that sit on my couch. So I feel like it, it might be dirty and I can't really mm. see that it's dirty. I feel so- like this is just, just responsible couch maintenance. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it might be a little quirky. I mean, I maybe a little bit. Let's see. Tony, do you find yourself wiping your couch down? <laughs> no, I can't say that I've ever done that. And I, I honestly didn't uh, know that was a thing anybody did. I'm so not, maybe, it's not a judgment. I just didn't know. <laughs> maybe it's just me. I mean, I think that some people would be worried about getting moisture on the couch. But your couch is a material where this is good. But you take a wet cloth, you said? Yeah. Just like a, like a, like a dishcloth with water on it. 
Um, and we have this like performance fabric. It's like a performance fabric. Yes. So. My, my couch is microfiber. My sa- I'm on my second microfiber couch. I love it. Oh, um, they're the best. They're yeah. the best. Yeah. So yeah, Tony, maybe you should be doing this. I mean, hey, I'll give it a shot. Why not? <laughs> uh, if you guys would like to sh- share your Just Me or Everyone's, tweet them to us at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F uh, with the hashtag J-M-O-E. Um, thank you for sharing that with us, Leanne. I'm sure that people are going to write in and say that they also do stuff like this. I mean, it just sounds like you're keeping your couch in good condition. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find your podcast, et cetera. Well, thank you for having me. It was really fun. It's always nice to talk to you, Allison. So good you to know, talk to you, too. My kids la- met you maybe one time, and they still talk about you from time to time. That's you- so sweet. I know Bert tells me that, or like he sent me a picture, or maybe he put it on Instagram, of uh, my Allison Rosen's new best friend sticker on the bunk bed. Yep. Yep. They have outgrown the bunk beds, but that sticker stayed there for a long time. <laughs> That's really cool. It's really cool that they get to meet people like you, you know, who get to live their their best life and live their dream and be an entertainer. And uh, I think it's really cool. Thank you. It's great to see successful women, you know, in any capacity uh, come in and out of their house. So, yeah. They still, Thank they you still so ask much. about you and talk about you. It's really cool. That's so I'm so flattered. Tell them uh, I say hello. I will. I will. Um, so I have a podcast called Wife of the Party. You can go to wifeotp.com. Uh, there are links there to all my episodes. I am on YouTube, um, Wife of the Party YouTube page. And yeah, I guess that's it. That's how you find me. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Listeners, if you like what you're hearing, please make sure that you're subscribed or following or whatever the terminology is in your app of choice so that you get the automatic episodes so that you don't miss one. Um, Subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. Leave us a nice comment on Apple Podcasts. It helps out the show. And uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. I'm on Cameo as well. I already mentioned Patreon. Oh, and uh, I, I'm an influencer on Amazon. I like to play it close to the vest. I don't talk about it nonstop. But uh, you can go to Amazon.com slash shop slash Allison Rosen. Amazon.com slash shop slash Allison Rosen. My mouth has decided that I'm sh- I should be done talking is what's happening. But you can shop my podcast gear. Uh, makeup, home stuff, stuff for the kids, Daniel's Corner, etc. So go check that out. Tony, where do we find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Tony Thaxton. And my <laughs> podcast, uh, Bizarre Albums, every Tuesday. Thank you again, Leanne. This was so much fun. Tell everyone thank I say hello. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Good time, but now we gotta go.